Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This current series of messages is on the book of Acts, showing its relevance for today as a pattern book for the operation of the Holy Spirit through the church. Be sure also to get a copy of Kevin's commentary on the book of Acts. Visit kevinconnor.org for details. I want you to turn uh, then in, uh, to Acts chapter 7, uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 8, as we pick up from our previous session. And uh, we're just going to read a few verses from Acts chapter 8, and just uh, pick up where we finished in our previous uh, time together. In verse uh, 12, we're told, But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Then Simon himself also uh, believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which, which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee, for I perceive that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. And the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Now, in our uh, last session, we are looking at this whole matter of uh, speaking in tongues. And uh, we began last time from uh, 1 Corinthians where Paul says, do, do all speak with tongues? Do all prophesy? And uh, uh, not being a Greek scholar, but knowing enough uh, of Greek endings, the answer is no. Do all speak with tongues? Do all prophesy? Are all apostles? The answer to all those questions is no. And so we come to the question, well, what about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Should everybody speak in tongues or what? Now, in our se session uh, together, we went through the, the uh, speaking in tongues uh, of the Old Testament. And we said together that the, all the gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned in the New Testament are also mentioned in the Old Testament. So we have, you know, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, uh, gifts of, uh, gift of prophecy, uh, miracles, healing, faith, all the gifts of the Spirit, and we even have tongues interpretation. So we went through last, uh, last uh, week on this without putting it on the board again. Genesis chapter 10, 11, Old Testament, where the origin of tongues and the languages of the nations, and there, when God came down at the Tower of Babel, it was a sign of confusion. He confused their languages, and everybody had to get into the language group and their, uh, bridge the cultural gap there and the language uh, gap there. And tongues back here at Babel was a sign of judgment and confusion. Then we move to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and 5, where God brought Israel to Mount Sinai, and God himself spoke in the Hebrew tongue to the whole nation, until the nation said, Oh, Moses, you go up and let God speak with you, but we don't want to hear God speaking anymore. You be our mediator. 
And so the hearers understood the language there. So in that sense we'd say tongues, God speaking tongue, and the hearers, the interpreter. Then, uh, of course, we always have that amusing one in Numbers chapter 22 that we looked at where uh, this woman donkey spoke in tongues and rebuked the madness of a prophet. A sign of rebuke there, and uh, Balaam understood the donkey's language. How many have asked who was the biggest donkey, the two-legged guy or the four-legged thing? So uh, the hero was his own interpreter in that case. And then we uh, touched briefly on the uh, Assyrian tongue in Isaiah chapter 28. Uh, Assyrian tongue, stammering lips, and another, another tongue he has speak to these people, the unbelieving people of God. And it was a sign of judgment there. And then the final illustration we saw in the Old Testament was Daniel 5, where uh, when Babylon fell, a hand of God came out of the wall. Must have been a terrifying experience see that handwriting on the wall, uh, writing in the unknown tongue. None of the wise men could interpret it, so Daniel was brought in and he gave the interpretation to that uh, written tongue uh, in in conjunction with the fall of Babylon. So have sign of judgment here, sign of blessing next, sign of rebuke, sign of judgment, sign of uh, Babylon's fall, and Daniel was the interpreter. Now we're coming to the New Testament, and this is particularly what we're picking up. So New Testament, and what I'd like to put here uh, is the, uh, on the matter of tongues, we want to look at the sign and the gift. I'll give you some uh, distinctions here, and I think this should answer some questions that people ask from time to time here, as well as those who really have a sincere heart and sincere questions about, about the baptism of spirit and speaking in tongues. So sign and gift. Okay, our first reference here, of course, was Mark 16. These signs shall follow them that believe, verses 15 to 20. These signs shall follow them that believe. And one of the signs was, they shall speak with new tongues. So that's uh, uh, the Gospel of Luke. Now, we touched on this last week. Some say, well, that's not in the original. Well, it's not in all the manuscripts. It's in some manuscripts. And as I said, my argument was last week, most of those who want to reject this passage in Mark's Gospel, they don't even accept it in the book of Acts. Because nearly everything mentioned in Mark here, uh, speaking with tongues, preaching the Gospel, water baptism, uh, taking up uh, serpents, uh, drinking any deadly thing, uh, all the other signs, healing and so forth, all those signs are mentioned in the book of Acts except drinking any deadly thing. So I say, okay, if you want to be an unbelieving believer and you don't want to accept the, the uh, Gospel of Mark, and that passage, because it's not in all the uh, earliest manuscripts, will you accept the book of Acts? And I find that they don't want to accept the book of Acts. So generally unbelieving believers uh, have that attitude. How many know what an unbelieving believer is? All right. So, okay, so Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe, they shall speak with new tongues. Now, whatever that meant to the disciples at the time. Then we came to the day of Pentecost and the original outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we were back there in the book of Acts and we were waiting in the upper room with the disciples and they were waiting for the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, there was no sign. Now, just receive it by faith. Just claim it by faith. In the name of Jesus, you've got the baptism. The world's perishing. Go out and preach the gospel. Now, Jesus said, tarry until you be endued with power from on high. And as we saw, the three signs that we had there, uh, the, the rushing mighty wind and the tongue of fire and the fulfillment of Old Testament Uh, pictures there and then the speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now as we said nowhere else in the book of Acts 
Is the wind repeated or the fire repeated? There have been occasions through church history that the sign of speaking tongues is repeated uh, in various occasions. So for the 120, the men and the women, the evidence to them, and sometimes I say to people who come to me for counsel or want me to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit, and uh, depending uh, on their background, of course, um, many times... I have to talk to people and say, get them off of the ground of unbelief onto the ground of faith. And I find sometimes that sinners who haven't got all the unbelieving hang-ups that a lot of us have, or did have, they, just get, they get saved, water baptized, with the Holy Spirit, they get the Peter package all in one. Well, we've got to rationalize it all out. That's full salvation. But we sort of rationalize it all out, so get saved, then after you've proved that you're worthy to be saved, get water baptized, and when you're 90 years of age, and got one foot in the grave and another on the banana skin, uh, then you could get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Peter package on the day of Pentecost was repent, repentance, faith, water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism, that was full salvation. That was being a Christian in New Testament sense. How many can say amen to that? But we've departed so much from that thing. So I find, I've found over the years that often sinners will come in, they get saved, believe in the Lord, water baptized, filled with the Spirit, the whole Peter package, all in one because they don't have the mental hang-ups. But uh, like myself, I had to get off of the ground of unbelief onto the ground of faith and I had a lot of battles. How many have had battles over things like this? What about the rest of you? Are you telling me the truth, you lying spirits? Okay. All right, so I've sometimes said to people, okay, if you could get rid of all the books of men that men have written about the baptism of the Spirit and the evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit and you were just stuck with the Bible and stuck with the book of Acts and you really honestly read through the book of Acts to see what was the evidence of receiving the Spirit back there, you would have to be honest and say the evidence of receiving the baptism of the Spirit back here was speaking in tongues. But we've got so many other books. Oh, well, so-and-so didn't speak in tongues. Well, Paul did. Well, someone else didn't speak in tongues. Well, Peter did. So for every one they give me of modern days and history that didn't speak in tongues, I can give you a bunch that did. So do you want to go by this? In fact, every book in the New Testament was written by a tongue talker. How many tongue talkers are with me tonight? And isn't it amazing how everybody likes to take the teaching of the tongue talkers, but they don't like their tongues? I know you can get shoes without tongues. People say to me, Kevin, I'm charismatic, but I don't speak in tongues. I say, well, you're not charismatic. You've got shoes without tongues. That's why you don't dance. No, 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 no. We won't build a church on that one. I speak that by permission, not by revelation. Okay, so uh, the evidence to the 120 of the men and women receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has spoken about was speaking with tongues, tongues of fire, the Shekinah glory coming, dividing up and sitting upon them, and burning through them as the living sacrifices and glorifying God in other tongues. Now, I think we said this last week as we move on now. Uh, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. May we say this. People have said to me over the years with uh, little hang-ups, and I've, I've had these myself, so I sympathize. Uh, well, I'm not going to speak in tongues unless the Lord makes me. Hmm? You did that. God forgive you. He has, hasn't he? Yes. 
Um, if, if the Lord wants me to speak in tongues, he knows my address. He can come and get me. And all these little things we rationalize. Well, it might shock you, the Holy Spirit doesn't do the speaking in tongues. You do. Listen to what the scripture says. They, who's they? That they are the 120, the men and the women, the disciples. They spake with tongues. How? Here's the miracle of it. As the Spirit gave them utterance, and I think the Amplified says, as the Spirit kept giving them the articulation, kept giving them the words. So we have divine sovereignty, human responsibility. So they spoke with tongues. How? As the Spirit gave them utterance. So, well, I'm not going to speak in tongues because they're just making it up. Do you know what? Nobody speaks in tongues unless it's by the power of the Holy Spirit or an evil spirit. Nobody can just speak up, make up tongues themselves. Try it. And I've been around, you know, I am more than 21. Eh? And I've never seen anybody who's been able to make up tongues say, well, that's just me, I'm making it up. No, it's either a, de the, a demonic spirit or a Holy Spirit. If we belong to the Lord, he's not going to give us an evil spirit. Eh? So they spake with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the miracle is the sovereignty of God, God gives you the utterance, but you speak in tongues, not the Holy Spirit. Everybody said Amen. All right, now we come back to Acts chapter 8 where we finished off here uh, last week. So we got Acts chapter 8 and just briefly we picked up two particular words. Now it doesn't say here in Acts chapter 8 that they spake with tongues, but we picked up the two words and uh, I quoted from uh, the Greek on there that when Philip had been down, remember Philip had been down, the evangelist, and under Philip people had been saved and healed and devils had been cast out, lame had been healed, and, uh, and so Philip uh, saw these people, they received the word, and after receiving the word, they were baptized. So that's as far as Peter, uh, Philip took them, pardon me. Now, when Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word, they sent to them Peter and John. So now here we have an evangelistic ministry, and now we have Peter and John apostolic ministry. So they come down and they lay hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. And so, under Philip they received the Word, but under Peter and John we're told in the passage we read, they received the Spirit. Now, when Simon saw this, and my argument is this, what did he saw? What did he see? Huh? Now, if, 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 if uh, Peter and John just laid empty hands on empty heads. Simon could have looked and said, well, nothing's happening. Just pulling some of his hair out. But he saw something. So what did he saw? What did he see? Now, see, he didn't ask Philip for that power. And, I mean, Philip had cast out devils, the lame were healed and everything. But there was something distinct and I believe there was a unique, visible evidence that Simon saw when he saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying of hands. So he must have seen something. He must have heard something because otherwise you lay empty hands on empty heads and that's it. Nothing happens. Receive by faith. Receive by faith. That happened to me years ago and I thought something should happen. Oh, I did. I went bald a bit. <laughs> Okay, so he saw, and then the second word, or the, the, the meaning of the word here was, um, 
two words that we have here to look closely at to perceive and then it's linked up with another word in Strong's where it says um, my writing uh, to gaze at with wide open eyes as it's something remarkable so when Philip saw he looked at something gazed at something remarkable okay and then the second word I gave you was when Peter said to him thy money perish with thee because you thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money you have neither part nor lot in this matter and the word matter there is the word logos something said that's interesting so there's implication there that Simon saw something and he heard something and when they said you've got neither part nor lot in this matter and this Greek word matter is logos a speech or something that was said so I think there's enough indication there that there was uh, he saw something and he heard something something said matter logos is the Greek word there okay now let's go to Acts chapter 9 briefly here now in the book of Acts we have five cases five accounts of people receiving the Holy Spirit three of them at least with speaking in tongues specifically the others by way of implication in Acts chapter 9 and uh, verse uh, verse 12 the Lord Jesus the head of the church is talking to Ananias about Saul so he says he had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight Ananias answered Lord I have heard by many of this man how much evil he have done to thy saints at Jerusalem and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name and then the Lord says he's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel and I'll show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake and Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said brother Saul didn't even call him reverend or archbishop or pastor oh isn't that tragic you just call him brother how many like that? Well, that's all three of us. How many like that? Thank you. Okay, brother. People say to me, what do they call you there? I said, brother or Kevin. Well, what about your title? One church used to always introduce me as Reverend Dr. Pastor Connor. Oh, I said, oh, quit it. Yeah. So all people got to respect you. I said, they don't respect the word of God. I'm going to have titles around this wall. Wouldn't mean a thing except for the silverfish. Anyway, I don't know why I said that. That must be for someone. Who's that for? Okay. <laughs> so he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, appeared unto thee in the way as you came and sent me that thou mightest be received thy sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes had been scales and he received sight. So what we see here, Saul is... Uh, receives Jesus as Lord on the Damascus Road. Three days later, something else happens. He's healed of blindness. He's water baptized. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Unless nothing happened. But later on, Paul tells us, now though it's not recorded there, in 1 Corinthians 14, I think it is, Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. So if he didn't speak in tongues there, and it's by implication here, 
He did say, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. So Paul was a tongue talker. I'm on his side. Aren't you? Acts chapter 10 and 11 now is the next account, and here it's very specific, Acts 10 and 11. We have the next account, and this is a few years later, and now Peter is sent down to Cornelius, to the uh, Gentiles. And let's just pick up the uh, specific verses here, Acts chapter 10. He has a vision. And in Acts chapter 10, remember the vision, he sees this sheet let down from heaven. We'll deal with this more later on. Sheet let down from heaven and, and the unclean animals in it, pork, crayfish, prawns, all the things that live on the sea sewer, everything like that. And it's nothing to do with food laws. Peter didn't say, oh, I've had a wonderful vision. Jump up, I can eat pork. Now, as I often say, you know that. You can eat pork. It's not going to stop you getting to heaven, help you get there quicker. Nothing to do with animals and meats. It's to do with the Gentiles. So when we get to Acts 10, verse 44, Peter is preaching the gospel. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Holy Spirit didn't even wait for Peter to make the announcements, take up the offering, the benediction, and nothing. Right in the middle of his message. I suppose he thought that was the only way he could get in. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. For they heard them, what? Speak with tongues and magnify God. Now, if, if, if they had not spoken with tongues... How would they know that the Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit? Oh, just received by faith, brother. Received by faith, sister. So laying empty hands on empty heads. No, the Holy Spirit. And he gave them the same sign. In fact, when Peter gets back to Jerusalem and he's hauled on the carpet there, he's going to lose his credentials. He said the Holy Spirit fell on them as on us at the beginning. And that's a good question to ask people. Has the Holy Spirit fallen on you as at the beginning? How many are glad he has? Eh? Now, they would never have known. Peter could have just preached that message and said, repent, be baptized, and everything like that. But if there'd been no speaking tongues, he would not have known. But he knew they were truly and genuinely saved, converted them, that they were believed uh, and, and, and filled with the Holy Spirit. For they heard, how they know the Holy Spirit was poured out? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be let's see, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Spirit as well as we, or the same as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Now remember this. Peter is in the transition stage. He's still sectarian and nationalistic and he had no intention of baptizing these Gentiles in water it looks like. And so the Holy Spirit just interrupted his message, gave them the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and in this case, the baptism of the Holy Spirit preceded baptism in water. But Peter got the message, and what was he saying here? If it's good enough for the Lord Jesus, the head of the church, to baptize them in the Holy Spirit, evidenced by speaking in tongues, that was the evidence to them, that the Jews and the Gentiles receive the Spirit. He's just saying, if it's good enough for the Lord to baptize them in the Holy Spirit, it's good enough for me to baptize them in water. Because the one points to the other. In fact, the other is the completion of the, of the other. Holy Spirit baptism really completes water baptism because water baptism is burial. 
Holy Spirit baptism is resurrection. Man does one, God does the other. Everybody said amen. So, clear evidence of speaking tongues. If you go back there to the Jews, what's the evidence used? Speaking tongues. Uh, Gentiles, what's the evidence used? Speaking tongues. All right, then we come to the last case here and then I want to uh, bring our thoughts to a close on this. Acts chapter 19, and why don't we turn to this one? Acts chapter 19. All right, Acts chapter 19. And uh, we'll pick up in verse 1. Acts 19. And this is a number of years later. So uh, you might like to uh, just even make a note of approximate years here. We have uh, here about AD 33, after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, just before his ascension. And then just within 50 days, AD 33, we have Acts chapter 2, speaking tongues. And then the Samaritans, uh, approximately AD 34. And then Acts chapter 9, about AD 35. And then we jump down a few years, AD 41, uh, with the Gentiles. And then quite a number of years later, uh, in Acts 19, about AD 58. So over this period of time, these years, Lord Jesus is still pouring out his spirit. And people are still speaking in tongues. So to say, well, tongues is only for the earth, church, not for today. Tongues shall cease. Well, the same verse that says tongues shall cease says knowledge shall vanish away. So has knowledge vanished away? Isn't it amazing how people say, oh, knowledge is going to increase. So if, if tongues shall cease, knowledge shall vanish away. Whose knowledge is vanished away? You're a little bit slow tonight there. Are you breathing? Just being a little bit facetious. Okay, Acts 19, let's read. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. So they were disciples. And he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Spirit since? And you know, the unbelieving believers say, Well, that word since is not a good word. It says, Have you received the Holy Ghost when you believe? Well, I don't care what you say whether you've received the Holy Ghost since you believed or when you believe. The question is, Did you receive the Holy Spirit? That's it. Don't argue over the word since or when. Now, it's quite evident when Paul came into the meeting here with these uh, Ephesian believers, there was something, no, someone missing in the meeting that made Paul ask this question, have you received the Holy Spirit when you believed or since you believed? And listen to the answer. They said unto him, we haven't even heard so much as heard whether there be any Holy Spirit. Now listen to the implications here. If they had been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, well, at least they would have heard of the Holy Spirit. Well, they said, we haven't even heard there'd be any Holy Spirit. How many get the point there? So what does Paul do? The moment he heard that, wow, they haven't received the Holy Spirit. They haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit, which means they haven't been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit being outpoured. So immediately he gets back to their baptism. He says, unto what? And for the unbelieving believers, unto whom? I don't care whether you say unto what or unto whom. Unto whom then were you baptized? Let's check out on your water baptism experience. For those who are doing principles of church life class, you'll understand this more. 
Unto what then were you baptized? They said, unto John's baptism. Oh, John the Baptist. His baptism was a baptism under repentance, a baptism under faith. And he said, the Messiah's coming. I'll baptize you with water, but the one coming after me, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So they say, oh, John's baptism. Oh, yeah, we're John's disciples, John the Baptist. Way back here, a few years back in AD 30, somewhere around there where John the Baptist was ministering, we were his disciples. And here it is, AD 58, you know, how many years later? And all they've got is John's baptism. That's what it says in the previous chapter, knowing only the baptism of John. Now, verse 4, listen to what Paul says. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they had a big argument and said, well, I don't care what you say, Paul. We were baptized with John's baptism, and that's good enough for me. Doesn't say that. Oh, that's what happens today. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the earliest manuscripts have, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul now rebaptized these people because, and we'll do this later on, what was wrong with John's baptism? What was wrong with, what was incomplete about John's baptism? What was missing in John's baptism? Can't tell you yet. Come back later on. So they were rebaptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. No argument, no fuss, no fighting. And what did the Lord do then? Verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Full stop. How does anybody know? The rest of the verse tells us. And they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. So here we have Ephesian believers. They were disciples of John. They'd had John's baptism, repentance and faith. But they had not been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul comes along. There's something missing from John's baptism we'll talk about another time. And not only did they have rebaptism, uh, they, were, they had laying on of hands and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spake with tongues and prophesied. So the evidence to Paul of them receiving the Holy Spirit and that his rebaptism was right because of this whole situation was speaking in tongues. So we have three specific cases here of tongues and two by way of implication. We know later on Paul said I speak with tongues. So what I'm saying here, if we could get rid of all the books of man that argue pro and con, then we only had the book of Acts. We'd say, okay, that was the evidence to them of receiving spirit. Now, let's go over to Corinthians and we'll, we'll complete our cycle of our question. Do all speak with tongues? Do all prophesy? Are all apostles? Let's come back to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as we finish on this uh, area here. No one put on the overhead something that'll help us, I trust. All right, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and your questions here. Um, well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm sorry, go back to verse, verse uh, 10, the latter part. When Paul is listing out the gifts of the Spirit, he says, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Then in verse 20, 28, 
And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Greek ending is no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Have all the gifts, plural, of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. The covered earnest is the best gift, so that's the thought. Now, what I feel helped me over the years in looking at this is, I want you to discern what Paul does or what we have in the book of Acts here and what we have in Corinthians. In the book of Acts, the whole emphasis is on the sign of tongues. In the Corinthian epistle, it's on the gift of tongues with interpretation. Now let's look, look at the difference and see if they'll sort of bring it all together here. Okay, I hope you can read my hieroglyphics. Okay, I've given you about eight things here, and if you can take this down for our last uh, number of moments. Okay, on the sign, so the sign is the evidence of receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So I've given you the scriptures, Acts chapter 2, they were baptized the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, uh, they were saved under Philip, but baptized in the Spirit. Acts chapter 9, Paul was saved on the Damascus Road. He's baptized on the Spirit, Ananias. Here, they were saved and baptized with the Spirit, then water baptized because God overrode Peter in this thing because of his nationalism. Unusual, but that, they had the whole Peter package in one. Ephesus, they were saved and repentant disciples of John. They were believers, but they were rebaptized, laying in their hands and spoke with tongues. Okay, so through the book of Acts, it is the sign of tongues. Everybody see what I'm saying here? Everybody see what I'm saying? Ask your question. Okay, so in the book of Acts, we have the, the speaking in tongues was the evidence of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, and 14, he's talking about receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And by the gift of the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about the gifts of the Spirit in conjunction with tongues interpretation. Okay, number two, in the book of Acts, it is a sign. <laughs> What's that? Someone speaking in tongues? <laughs> Maybe it's this. In the book of Acts, it's a sign. In the Corinthian epistle, it's a gift. In the book of Acts, it's individual, personally. Each of the persons here individually spoke with tongues and was for themselves. But in the book of uh, Corinthians, it's corporate for the church. Then, in the uh, book of Acts, the tongues did not have to be interpreted. The only case that we know where the hearers were the interpreters was on the day of Pentecost. We've got no evidence that they were there. Could have been, but we have no... And, of course, this is Ananias and Paul, or Saul as he was there. Here, the Gentiles, we don't know how many Gentiles, but at least seven in Peter's bunch that came down with them from Jerusalem. And here we have 12. So the speaking tongues was individually for them. And uh, Paul didn't say, hey, 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 there's 12 of you, please. You're all talking in tongues at once. Oh, upper room, 120 men and women speaking in tongues at once. Stop it. Paul says, he hasn't written it yet, but Paul says only two or three. Okay? So individual for the person, corporate for the church. In the book of Acts, it did not have to be interpreted. The only specific case where the hearers were the interpreters was there. And then, but in the, in the Corinthian epistle, you must have the twin gift of interpretation. 
So in the church there must be interpretation. Then in uh, the book of Acts, it is not limited to numbers there. They all speak in the tongues at the same time. 120 in the upper room, what a noise! Because the 3,000 people came together. Uh, the people, 120 all at once. We don't know how many of the Samaritans here uh, Paul is individual here. We don't know how many Gentiles in the house of Cornelius, but at least 12 here. They're all speaking in tongues at once. So not limited. But when Paul takes up the Corinthian epistle, he says, if anybody speak in tongues, it's limited to two or three. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one or let someone interpret. Uh, and why do we say three? Do you know why I believe God limited three? Because God himself is three. And the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. So if people don't hear three quote-unquote messages in tongues, and that's a whole subject itself, uh, that, that's enough. God the Father has spoken, the Holy Spirit is the Son has spoken, the Holy Spirit speaks. So he always limits it to three. It's limited. And then uh, in number six here, the sign of the baptism is for personal edification but when Paul's dealing in Corinthians, he's dealing with church edification. What edifies the church? This other edifies the individual. This other edifies the church. And then all may have this. So when Paul says, I would that you all spoke with tongues, is he saying, I wish you all had the gift of tongues and all had the gift of interpretation? No, I would you all spoke with tongues. So I believe that the scripture gives enough implication that all may speak in tongues. People say to me, well, do I have to speak in tongues? Well, you don't have to do anything. God's not going to make you. But it's your privilege. It's the evidence to you, and biblical evidence. So all may speak in tongues. So what hinders you? Unbelief, traditionalism, rationalism, or something that robs you. Okay, so all may, but Paul says, all do not have this gift of speaking in tongues. I, I have personal edification for myself, but I've never ever given tongues and spoken in tongues in the church as far as a gift of tongues and giving message. I, I don't have that gift, but I do speak in tongues pretty well every day for my edification. Then Paul says in relation to this, forbid not to speak in tongues, but the next minute he says, if there's no interpreter in the church, silence in the church, so don't speak in tongues. Is he contradicting himself? So uh, I think if you can sort of lay hold on this, the distinction be the si between the sign and the gift. And because most people who reject speaking in tongues is the evidence of the Spirit, and they don't understand the sign and the gift, they'll quote this and say, well, do all speak in tongues? Greek says no. Okay, well, what are we talking about? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? He's using tongues interpretation, the twin gifts of the Spirit there. That's what he's talking about. So I, I feel if you meditate on these things, it'll help us. Okay, I have received the sign of speaking tongues. I haven't got the gift of speaking tongues in conjunction with uh, interpretation in the church. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.